This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. The idea of genetic testing used to be just something of science fiction movies, but in recent decades, genetic testing has proved to be a game changer for a lot of people. For instance, people who inherit the BRCA gene fault can now take action in preventing breast cancer, which is saving lives. There's even multiple studies underway here in Australia looking into the genomic testing of newborns, which will be able to tell parents and doctors so much more about a child's genetic predisposition to disease and different health conditions. But how do we ensure that genetic testing doesn't lead to discrimination? And how can we ensure that people who need genetic testing have access to it? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning. Kirsten Diprose joining you from ABC Warnable. Kirsten, the future is here, but who <laughs> knows about it and who can access it? Good morning, Rochelle. It really is. And it's exciting and a bit terrifying. And when you say accessing it, you know, at the moment, it's really only people with a strong personal or family history of certain diseases that are actually eligible for publicly funding funded genetic testing. But that's very likely, as we're about to hear today, to change soon. You know, we might even be finding out what our newborns have Mm. uh, as soon as they're born. But how much do we really want to know? And is it our right to know as parents what our children may develop one day? There's the medical and scientific conversations that will come up today, but then there will be a lot of the ethical conversations that will come up around genetic testing. But I also wonder whether or not people even think or consider if it's something that they're eligible for, if it's something that they would put their hand up for, maybe there's a family member, maybe something happens in your family, there's a disease if, you know, unfortunately if you lose a loved one to uh, complications that result from Alzheimer's or dementia, cancer, for example. What information do we have access to and what information do we have? And as you said, that some of the work that's being done into newborns to be able to potentially help prevent some diseases. Yeah, I think there's huge ethical questions about if we can't do anything about it now, do we want to know? So incredibly useful to find out your your child you know, has a condition or might have a condition that develops when they're young. So you can be on the lookout for it or manage it if it's something that manifests when they're little. But do you really need to know if it's developing Alzheimer's potentially when they're 70? That depends on what medical interventions you can put in between then and them turning 70 and whether or not it will help prevent something like Alzheimer's or dementia? These are the questions that we're going to look into today. So have you had or would you like access to genetic testing? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, Michelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Kirsten Dipper is joining you from ABC Warnable as we look into genetic testing today. Would you consider it? Maybe you've already had it done. A text already that comes in, it says it all depends on who gets access to the testing. Is it employers or employees? What about insurance companies? <laughs> this is something that Dr Jane Tiller has definitely looked into. She's an ethical, legal and social advisor for the public health genomics at Monash University. Jane, a warm welcome. Welcome to the conversation hour. Before we sort of get into, okay, will it impact whether or not you can get insurance? Can we just have a quick overview of what is genetic testing? Yeah, absolutely. And obviously we'll get to the insurance question. I think I said this to you already, but it always comes up um, and it'll be a really important thing to cover. Uh, Genetic testing is something, as we've said, that has become incredibly more advanced. We know a lot more about genetics. We can do a lot more with genetics than we used to be able to. Um, But genetic testing is really looking at your DNA. And DNA is in every cell in your body uh, and it really manages everything that happens in your body. So it codes proteins that have functions in the body and there are changes in the DNA code. Some of those changes are just normal. They happen in everyone, they're natural variation. They change your eye colour, your hair colour. Some of them cause problems or breaks 
and some of them lead to disease. Some of them lead to cancer, some of them mm. lead to heart disease. And we're finding out more and more about what those differences in DNA code mean for the development of disease in the future or the diagnosis of disease now. What are some of the main areas, Jane, that genetic testing comes into play? Because it can be if there's a gene in a family, but also it's something that, you know, if you want to have a baby and you might be doing IVF or you might have just found out that you're pregnant, then it comes into play as well. Yeah, so genetic testing is really becoming available across the life course. And so we can start with, for example, adults. Um, you and I could have a genetic test to find out whether we have predispositions to certain diseases now. Um, we're doing a study that I'm sure we'll talk about soon at Monash University where we are looking at uh, high-risk conditions in young people that cause diseases like cancer and heart disease. Um, 2% of people that we're testing have one of these mm. changes um, that leads to high risk of breast cancer, high risk of um, colorectal cancer, high risk of uh, heart disease, um, heart, genetic high cholesterol. And these are things that we call medically actionable. So there's something you can do about them. There's something you can do to prevent your risk or catch it early and treat it early. Um, so in adults, you know, we can test for that um, in Infants, like we're going to talk about, we can test for things wow. that um, in, in babies that are they're going to affect them in the future or that are affecting them already. And you can have a test for something before you get pregnant to find out whether you might pass something on to your child that you might have um, and there might be something you can do about that. It sort of feels like it's at the forefront in the very beginnings that sets up the foundation for so much medical research because depending on what you discover, what you find, then that will give clearance or give credence to other forms of medical research and sort of it snowballs from there. It sort of feels like without it, there would be a whole heap of research that doesn't get done, especially when it comes to preventing medicine. Yeah, genetics really underpins everything in a lot of ways. Um, the more we understand about genetics, the more we see how it impacts every area of um, medicine, how it impacts a lot of areas of health. We don't understand yet everything about how genetics affects things. But if we ignore genetics, then we miss a lot of how things are passed on, the reasons why diseases progress, how they can, how they can be treated, how they can be managed, what, what medications might be effective or not effective. There's a lot of things that genetics wow. can tell us. Anna is in Briagalong. Hi, Anna. Hi. Um, I've been thoroughly against genetic testing um, because I, of the privacy issue. And in America, they're using it to catch criminals, like um, so uh, interfamilial criminal, criminals. So uh, I don't believe that it's, it's confidential. But my um, auntie on my father's side, my only auntie, died of breast cancer. And in the last year, my only two sisters have been diagnosed with breast cancer. And so I'm in a situation where mm. possibly getting that test would um, uh, save my life. But how confidential is it? Wow. So I don't need an answer for me. It's just to raise that question when yeah. you say yeah. And I think, Anna, you're not alone in those fears. It was quite literally the first couple of texts, Anna, that came through that said, but how do I know who's going to get that information and what gets done with it? And I think that fear is quite legitimate. But it, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll look into whether or not you have legitimate concerns about that, but will it change your mind, Anna? Will you actually potentially get the test, do you think? Yes. I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm seeing my doctor on Friday and... Uh, we'll discuss whether I can just get the breast cancer test because um, both my sisters had mammograms within six months of being diagnosed with cancer. So the mammogram system isn't working it for us. Yeah. Yeah. How so, safe, yeah. oh, Anna, we wish you all the best. We really do. Good luck with that test. How safe will Anna's history, her information, the, the genetic testing that she does, how, how safe and secure is that going to be, Jane? That depends in part to how she gets that test done and, and where that information comes from. So we know that if testing is done through the medical health system in Australia, it's, it's done in Australia, it's kept um, under confidential security um, within our testing systems here. However, it's, it's not easy, like we were saying, to get a test. Not everyone can get them. Um, 
And if you have a very strong family history, you should be able to get a funded test. But uh, there are strict criteria and not everyone will meet that criteria. And so we see a lot of people are starting to go and trying to get tests from online providers or from overseas. Once you send your DNA to another country or to another company that might not have those same um, protections in place, of course, we don't know where it might go. We don't know what might happen to it. And then, of course, there's the question of um, legal uses of that information. And so insurance uh, is one of those where life insurance companies are legally allowed to have that information. You have to provide it to them if you're making an application and they ask for it. So, Is that likely to change, do you think? We certainly hope so. It's something that we have been working on for many years and we've been working really hard on, on doing a research project and, and making recommendations to government. And just last week, the Australian government actually introduced a consultation to say to the Australian public, what do we need to do about this? Should we ban life insurers from using genetic tests to discriminate against people like they've done in other countries? Or and like that- they do with other conditions, like mental health conditions, for example. Yeah. We just heard that last week. There was a woman that was discriminated against. Yeah, and there are some similar issues that come up in the mental health space, and I know that they've been having conversations about how that's used as well. Um, and in the in the insurance space, they've opened a consultation and asked people to write into the government to say, should we ban this? And so it's a great opportunity if people are concerned about this, that they can write to the government, they can say, this is what I think, I think you should ban it, um, this is what my concerns are. And of course, Dr Jane Tiller, you know, they'll say, oh, but premiums will go up. But there are other countries, aren't there, that have actually banned it successfully through legislation. Yeah, that's right. So whenever this is brought up, the life insurance industry says we have to have this information to price our risk. And if we don't have this information, um, people will take out big amounts of cover and then everyone's cover will go up. Now, they've said that um, for many years, for decades, they've been making that argument. They made it in the 90s in the UK when this was banned. Uh, They made it in Canada six years ago when they banned this through legislation and uh, those those markets continue to operate. Mm. We know that it's um, a fear that we haven't seen any evidence that this actually happens. And in fact, when people get this information, they're not going and running out and taking out $10 million policies and dying. They're doing something about their health. They're getting checkups. They're having surgery. You know, women with BRCA mutations remove their breasts. They remove their ovaries. They go for high-risk screening. They're not sitting around waiting to die and claim on their life insurance. The thing is, if they didn't get that test, they'd be able to get life insurance at standard rates and they'd be more likely to die of cancer. So really having this test allows them to be proactive about their health, makes them actually a better bet for an insurer, but it's much harder to get life insurance. And we see people really afraid of this saying, well, I don't want this testing now. Like the caller that we got yeah. saying, I don't want testing because, because of, of all of the complications. Exactly. There's so many messages and we'll try and get through a lot of them. And a lot of them centred around fear, actually. Mm. What will happen with the information? What does it mean ethically as well? And just a general and this is through nobody's fault, lack of understanding of what does it really mean and and who has access to this in terms of being able to get it and then where does that information go? Good morning, Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Kirsten Tiprose is your co-host this morning, joining you from ABC Warnable. And our guest in the studio, Dr Jane Tillam, who's an ethical, legal and social advisor for public health genomics at Monash University. We are talking genetic testing today. Have you had it done would you consider having it done? One woman who has it done is Holly Clinton. She is a breast cancer survivor and inherited the BRCA2 gene fault. Holly, a warm welcome to the conversation hour. Can you just talk us through a little bit of your experience of genetic testing? What led to it and what was that experience like for you? Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. Um, Well, my sister passed away three years ago to breast cancer. Um, She was 30 years, uh, 34 years old at the time when um, it all started. Um, She had no symptoms. The only thing that popped up for her was a inverted nipple. So no other signs or pain. And after testing a week later, she was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. Mm. Um, so yeah, and went, underwent intensive treatment for the next year because of that. Um, we were lucky in the sense that it stayed away for five years, and we thought that we'd sort of got on top of it until she developed a cough five years later, and that cough didn't go away. 
and turned out that it had uh, reoccurred and spread to her lungs. Oh, I'm so sorry um, to hear that, Holly. Yeah, that was a horrible time then. That turned out to be stage four because of mm. um, where it had spread to her bones and her lungs. Um, and so and at this stage, you didn't know it was in your family? Is that right? No, that's right. No, when she was first diagnosed, we there was no real reason for the um, doctors to do genetic testing. We didn't believe we had a family history of breast cancer, uh, which we actually didn't. Um, we've sort of, we've got a large family and some are estranged, so we don't know too much about our family history and health. Um, but it was when it returned that they decided by chance that they would do testing for BRCA1 and BRCA2, um, uh, which meant that our immediate family members underwent just a really simple blood test to find out um, our diagnosis. And that turned up that my dad was a carrier and my myself, I had the BRCA2 gene as well as Amber, my sister. And you've had your own cancer experience. Yeah, I have. So, it, well, just through uh, realising that I had the BRCA2 uh, gene fault, they decided to run some routine uh, scanning on me. And uh, that was things like a doctor's appointment with an oncologist to talk about my chance of developing cancer. And uh, that sort of online screening tool uh, at that point had me at 3% chance of developing cancer and after that I did uh, in one day I went through a mammogram, ultrasound oh. and MRI Wow! Uh, and that was routine but um, so the mammogram was clear, the ultrasound was clear and the MRI showed that I had ductal carcinoma which just goes to show, because Holly with us in the studio is Dr. Jane Tiller, and you're doing a lot of nodding, Jane, through this, because <laughs> th that idea of it can get missed on so many other things, like mammograms, things that, of course, are so vital in mm. so many ways. But is, yeah. and Holly, stay with us, but is, is Holly's yeah. and her family's experience, is this pretty typical in terms of when you would get offered this testing, how you would get really? offered this testing? Yeah, this is really typical. And it's interesting, Holly, you mentioned that, you know, you didn't know it was in the family, you didn't have a family history history yeah. obviously we use family history to offer people testing because we have limited resources but we are missing so many people we estimate mm -hmm. that we we haven't even found 10 percent of the people in the population who have a, a BRCA gene mutation because wow. family history is a really blunt mm -hmm. tool you know we were talking right. before about families who are you know adopted or families um you know Jewish families with holocaust histories there are so many people who don't know their family history or they or they have lots of men in their family who you know they have a, a breast cancer risk if they have BRCA but it's much lower you don't see that really strong family history of people dying of breast cancer that you see when it comes through the female line and so Unfortunately, it's really common that we, mm. we find out first because somebody has a really young, really aggressive cancer. And what we want to do is screen the whole population. Oh, We've wow. done cost-effectiveness studies. It is cost-effective to screen. So how would you do that? Well, so what I was talking about earlier, we're, we're doing a pilot study at Monash Uni. We've tested 10,000 young people. We're just finishing up now. Um, we started last August. Um, and we just asked all comers, people between 18 and 40, we said, do you want testing for these three conditions, breast and ovarian cancer, colorectal cancer and genetic high cholesterol? And we had 20,000 people within a week signed up for the study. We were able to test 10,000 and many people have no family history. But we are doing this to demonstrate to the government it is cost effective to do this as a population screening program. You know, and we talked before about what kind of information is appropriate. There are population screening principles that you need to follow, which are this needs to be actionable. There needs to be something people can do about it. And so we are saying to the government, you could screen the whole population for this kind of risk and we could prevent a lot of cancers, a lot of heart disease. Mm. But of course, we find people when we tell them about insurance implications, for example, they decide don't they do don't it. want to be part of this screening. We need that consumer protection to be in place. Dr. Jane Tiller is with us, ethical and legal and social advisor, public health genomics, Monash University. 
We'll come back to that point because I've got so many more questions about what widespread genetic testing will mean for us as a country 10, 20, 30 mm. years down the track. Holly, what did genetic testing mean for you? I mean, did it save your life, do you think? It absolutely saved my life. Um, and unfortunately, it was done when my sister's cancer returned. Uh, if it had been done perhaps when she was first diagnosed, we might be in a different position. Um, but, but, yeah, I'm still grateful that it was picked up when it was. So, um, And my dad, now at the start of this year, was diagnosed with breast cancer. So he's one of the unlucky men, one in 200, I think it is, that... Uh, uh, now, so yeah, uh, Holly. It, I mean, I'm just so glad you were able to get that testing done as well. Just finally, do people have reactions like if they say, "Oh, well, are you not worried about where that information will go?" Or do you, you know, have you attempted to get life insurance or health insurance in any way? And have you had to fight back against it? It's never been something that I've um, had to, uh, I've had an issue with or I've had to fight against. Um, it's not been something that's really been discussed either around circles of friends. There's no concerns or probably little knowledge in that area. But I guess there's little knowledge about the BRCA gene fault mm. as it is. So that's, I mean, that's an area I'd love to have strengthened uh, with people just to educate themselves. Well, Holly, thank you for, yeah, and that's, that, this conversation is a part of that. Thank you so much for sharing your story and we wish you and your dad all the best. Oh, thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks, Holly. Holly Clinton there, breast cancer survivor, who went down the road of genetic testing. How common would it be for someone like Holly? I mean, this gene was passed down through her dad's side. One in 20, uh, sorry, one in 200 men have breast cancer. It's sort of, it almost gets forgotten. I think there's probably an entire conversation hour in male breast cancer, actually. Hand on heart, I really think there is. But would that get overlooked a little bit because it's sort of just presumed, well, it can't be coming down the, the male line. Yeah, I think there's in the community there's a lot of misunderstanding about how genetics is passed on, absolutely. People think, oh, well, you get breast cancer genes from your mum or it comes from women and uh, maybe just a misunderstanding of genetics that actually you can get gene changes from your mum or your dad. It affects women much more, but it still can come through men. Um, male breast cancer, it is rare, but it is a significant risk for men with BRCA. Um, prostate cancer is also a significant risk and so we need to really ensure that people understand that there are risks for men in having mm. these kind of genetic changes and being tested and finding out but also that there are risks for their children so someone like Holly because her dad knew then she found out that she had inherited it so men and women both pass it on um, I know there's a lot of research into the experiences of men with BRCA and who have breast cancer and um, the real lack of understanding and information there mm. is out there a text message saying our daughter who's seven has had ongoing health issues since she was born her symptoms uh, and delayed development had confused doctors and medical professionals as her issues never presented in a typical way no one ever knew how to help her her health declined rapidly this year with a lot of neurological issues which resulted in a lengthy stay at the royal children's the amazing team there treated her but they couldn't get answers to why she was so sick and then she qualified for genetic testing mm. This led us to finding out that she had a rare genetic condition. The day we found this out, we read up all about her condition. Uh, it was as if we were reading our daughter's own medical history. All of a sudden, all the unanswerable questions surrounding her whole life finally had answers. The relief and understanding was life-changing. Even as I write this text, I am in tears. Genetic testing has helped us immeasurably. Thankfully, through the public health system, it didn't cost a cent. That's from Mitch in Geelong. And that's it for rare conditions. And if you knew that at the outset yeah. or if, you know, your newborn, you knew that they had this predisposition then when these bizarre symptoms started turning up doctors you know. would start looking at that yeah and it's it's amazing because as we connect with other countries around the world you know we might find um, as we share data and genetic data we might find this is something we've never seen before but we find there's a child in the Netherlands and there's a child in Germany and maybe there's a you know and we start to be able to connect the dots together and find communities of the, these rare disorders and understand more and we talk a lot about prevention and you know I sit in the School of Public Health and, and we talk about prevention through genetics but the incredible amount of power there is in 
diagnosing, understanding, knowing what comes next, knowing what to do next is really powerful. But it's scary, right? Because it's crystal ball stuff and you're told something that you possibly don't want to hear. There's a reason why people don't even go to the doctors. I'd rather (laughs) not know, right? As far as line my dad would say. And And this is a part of it. And sometimes that's different personalities. Some people prefer to stick their head in the sand as much as as a public health person that is frustrating. That's a choice that some people make about health generally. Because it's fear. Yep, it's fear. And I guess trying to make people... um, or trying to encourage people to understand that there are steps they can take. It's not determinative, especially, well, not, you know, things like breast cancer genes, you know, even other genes like um, dementia and, and Alzheimer's, these things aren't necessarily determinative. It doesn't mean that people will definitely get things, but it does mean that they can take steps or it does mean that they can plan. You know, yeah. some people decide that they want to structure their life differently or they want to spend their money differently. Um, yes. But it is scary. Or it is involve scary yourself in young. clinical trials, all sorts of things. Yes. Sarah's in Altona. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I, <laughs> I've just stepped out of an appointment with a breast consultant and switched on the radio and you were talking about the exact question. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh. That I put to her. And I just, you know, I work with researchers and I just, knowledge is such power. And I just wanted to urge anyone out there that if you haven't booked an appointment to book an appointment, because my sister was one year older than me, she is one year older than me, and um, she got invasive lobular carcinoma, Mm. which is not a lump, so Mm. you wouldn't have felt it, and it wouldn't have been picked up by mammograms. Mm. You can only pick it up by an MRI. So... I remember it every year. It's my son's just turned seven. And you see, she was diagnosed a week after my son was born. So I kind of remember it every year around his birthday. And she strongly pushed us to go and get a breast MRI because the system is set up to do mammograms and ultrasounds, which is fine. And I know any screening is better. But just having that little bit of knowledge that hers would not have been picked up that way I pay every year to now go and do a breast MRI and I've just taken my next step in the journey to actually go and talk to a breast consultant. (laughs) Wow. Because now I'm, you know, entering that perimenopausal period Mm -hmm. of her breast cancer was hormone positive. What does that mean for me? Can I take hormone replacement therapy? So on and so forth. So, um, you're really taking control, Sarah. Absolutely. Because, you know, the knowledge is out there. The knowledge is out there and the fact that, you know, when you read that that text message earlier, we can do genetic testing. It's just not widely done in Australia, which is so frustrating. Has it been expensive for you, Sarah? So the MRI is about $675. Um, But for me, it's given me that peace of mind. Um, My husband had skin melanoma and that progressed to liver and bone. Mm-hmm. And he got treated with immunotherapy at Pitamac here in Melbourne. And aren't we incredibly lucky to have that technology available to us? You know, it's progressed. They said 10 years ago, you would have got nine months. Mm-hmm. So wow. if we have that ability to do genetic testing, I just like, it's kind of a no-brainer. So thank you so much for having Jane on. <laughs> I've been Googling oh, her thank you for, I've been waiting. She's amazing. <laughs> and I just, I mean, isn't it incredible how life works sometimes? That Sarah, you've literally just walked out of a consultant and this conversation was sort of just yes. meant to be and we were meant to hear from you today as well because it's so important and we wish you absolutely all the best. Knowledge is power, but do we also need to make it accessible and affordable? Do we need to have those conversations? Because unless somebody asks you the questions, unless you have the resources, knowledge is only knowledge if it's available to you. Mm. And screening is so important and preventive health is so important. And it's it's difficult um, for governments to fund preventive health because uh, the benefits aren't really held, you know, they don't really come to fruition in the election cycle. And so it looks like they've spent money and they haven't saved anything um, because the money is saved down the track. Say, you know, people's lives saved, treatment saved. 
Breast screen is an amazing thing that is available. They're actually undergoing a review at the moment if people want to write in and tell the government um, as well. That's not something I'm involved in, but I know it's it's happening. Um, things like funding MRIs, they are very expensive. And so it's really a balance for the government of, you know, what can we fund for everybody? Um, access and equity is a real challenge. You know, we, we have um, incredible things that are available to people who can afford them, but we need to at least have a basic standard of care that is publicly funded for everybody for screening. And that's why we want to look at this DNA screening as a public health screening program. We don't want people who can get preventive care through genetic testing because they have a lot of money and then everybody else can't get anything. Big question that I wanted to return to for you, Dr. Jane Tiller, mm. is what would the world look like mm. if 20 years from now we all were genetically tested? So, you know, from newborns and the rest of us all got done tomorrow, what kind of world would we be living in 20 years from now? It's a really great question and I want to take it a step back because we talk a lot about newborn screening and it's a big it's a big shiny new toy and I know we'll be... People um, are scared about it too because there's already texts coming in saying it's manipulation. Excited and people are scared because there's a lot of things we need to think about with... It seems easy to say, let's just screen every newborn at birth. But as you were saying, there are some things that will not affect children until they are adults um, and there is a question about first of all whether it's appropriate for parents to have that information whether it's necessary whether that will affect those children growing up and whether it's something that can be used or, or useful in their childhood so at the moment we screen newborns for things that can be um, can affect them in their infancy or early childhood that we can either treat or we can prevent or we can do something about but we don't screen newborns for BRCA mutations because there is no risk in childhood with BRCA um, and that is really putting something on a child that they didn't consent to and the other thing is um, we are not yet finding all of the people who are adults who are walking around who could develop cancer next year. And so to start a program where we focus on newborns who might have benefit of that information in 40 years' time when we are allowing the rest of the population to languish in, in their risk really isn't the right prioritisation in my mind. Of course, we should be thinking about screening and what's appropriate in, mm. in newborns, but we really need to focus on do we have adequate screening for adults who have risk now and tomorrow and next week before we say, what about screening newborns? Yeah. And that comes later. into preventative medicine. And I feel like as a society and as a, a state and as a country, we're only just really starting to understand both the health but also the economic benefits of taking preventative medicine seriously. Esther is in Malvern. I hope I've pronounced your name correctly. Good morning. Yes, hi, good morning. Um, yes, in our case... We knew that my mother had the BRCA gene and I thought, oh, I'll always just go and get the regular, you know, scans and um, etc. And then my daughters begged me, mum, please go and get tested because if I don't have it, then they don't have it. Mm. Anyway, I tested and yes, I had it. And since then, it's actually saved two of my kids' lives. Oh, my goodness. Wow. One of them had a three centimetre... Um, a tumour, which wasn't a breast tumour, which was not picked up, and it must have been very deep in her breast, and um, so she had all the appropriate surgery and everything. And another of my kids, she had the regular scans, and the second year that she had one, it was noticed that she had an aortic aneurysm. So it wasn't the BRCA gene, but it was as a result of that... Um, you know, regular monitoring that brought, that um, picked that up. Oh, so, how rare is that? Stay yeah, with yeah, us. Yeah, yeah so uh, even though we're you know cursed with the gene, I'm very grateful that it's yeah. actually um, the monitoring has um, saved their lives. It's and amazing then, how much screening can do. And you know, we're not looking for things like that when we do breast screening. But the more you monitor your body, the more you're thinking about what might be coming, the more you find. And we do hear stories of cancers that are found that are not related to the cancer we're looking for but the more you are proactive the more you look the more you screen the more you pay attention to symptoms the more likely you are to catch things early and cancers especially cancers like breast cancer and bowel cancer are much more treatable at an early stage you know stage one cancers are often highly treatable if you don't find cancer until stage four they are 
much less likely to be treatable and to survive. So, um, you know, that's an amazing story and not one I've heard before to find an aortic aneurysm. But and good on your daughter too yeah, to say, Mum, exactly. go and get tested. And See, our a, nagging helps sometimes. It's another good point you make that, that sometimes testing tells us that we're at risk and we can do things and sometimes testing tells us we're not at risk and we don't need to go and have all that high-risk screening. You know, with bowel cancer predisposition, for example, people say, well, I'll just get an... Um, a colonoscopy every year. I won't get the genetic test. I'll just have the colonoscopy. But if they had the test and found that they were low risk, they wouldn't need to go and have that colonoscopy every but year. But how accessible is that test, for example? Is it uh, how much? What's people saying? Yeah, but what do they cost? Mm. So if you say, okay, well, I don't want to actually go and um, you know have a camera in my insides once a year. I'd rather just have the test done. How affordable is it? If you're just a person off the street yeah. who doesn't have a family history and you just say, I'm interested to know what my risks are, it's difficult to know where to start. For example, if you have a high a high breast cancer family history, then they would look at breast cancer genes. If you just say, I want a clean bill of health, that is very difficult to get. Um, people who are very wealthy can go off to get what we call a whole genome um, which is you look at everything, all of the DNA in your whole body, um, and we try and look at all of the different changes. Now, that's a very time-intensive process for a curation scientist, which is someone who looks at those DNA changes, and it costs thousands and thousands of dollars. If, though, you just want to look at breast cancer genes, you can get that for a few hundred dollars now out of pocket. So it is becoming much more affordable if we know what we're looking for and the specific things we want to target. What we're doing with the DNA screen study is we're looking at 10 genes, which are the ones that are high risk that are medically actionable. Now that, if someone decided to go and get those tests, might cost them, um, you know, maybe $500 to, to $1,000 out of pocket. But we are hoping that it can be offered at an affordable rate um, that can be funded by the government at high scale because things are becoming much more affordable mm. and genetic testing is becoming much easier. Edwina is in Ocean Grove. Hi, Edwina. Hello, how are you? Good. So I got uh, my results from my genetic testing last week. <gasps> so, and um, I guess I was diagnosed with breast cancer at 45. I had stage three breast cancer mm. and I've got two girls who are 12 and 14. So um, there's no history of breast cancer in the family. So I had to privately fund my genetic testing through Peter Mac, which cost $500. Even though um, you had breast cancer yourself? Even though I had breast cancer, I was still deemed low risk because it's not a family history. I guess I'm just unlucky to have breast cancer. And we decided to go ahead with the genetic testing because we have two daughters and it was just a, a no-brainer. We had to know for their uh, future what to, what was in store for them. And luckily, we don't carry, I don't carry the gene mutation. And you can tell um, that to them. Is, but yeah, we, we just had to know. Oh, Edwina, there's so many people that are saying there's a, a text here and it's signed from constantly worried is how they've called themselves and it says i've lost four family members to dementia and mnd i want the test to tell my kids i'm free if i am is there any way to be able to test that won't be available or won't go out onto my health insurance otherwise i just can't do it so it's not just breast cancer as well i mean can you be genetically tested for things like mnd yeah, so there are a number of neurological conditions that are genetic that you can have testing for. Um, things like Huntington's, things like Alzheimer's, things that uh, often don't have treatments and, and aren't preventable. And so they're the ones where some of those ethical issues come up. Do people want to know about this information if they can't prevent it? Um, not everyone wants to know about that. Not everyone wants to know about that at a young age. Um, some people decide that they would rather plan but they're not things that we call medically actionable. But people's definitions of actionable can change. Some people say this is actionable because I will make different reproductive decisions. If I'm planning to have children, I'll make different life decisions and I can take action even though I can't stop from getting that disease. And you never sort of know what medical science will throw between and come up with in that time as well but it would take a certain level of confidence and a certain type of person I think to be going okay well I know this is coming so yeah I am going to live my life differently whether that's frightening or freeing it sort of I guess it really depends on the individual so have you had genetic testing would you consider it? This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria
Good morning, Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Your co-host this morning, Kirsten Dippro, is joining you from ABC Warnable. And in the studio, Dr Jane Tillo, who's an ethical, legal and social advisor for public health of genomics at Monash University. We are talking genetic testing. David Amor is a consultant at the clinical and a clinical geneticist and a research group leader at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute. David, there's been a lot of discussion this morning about testing babies, testing newborns. This, as we said right at the beginning of the show, sort of seems like the stuff of science fiction, but it's becoming a reality now. Is this something that you've seen change within your professional lifetime? Um, Yeah, definitely, Rochelle. I think um, even if you'd asked me just five years ago whether um, this is the pathway we would be heading down, I would have said... Um, it's pretty unlikely and, um, you know, as with some of the discussions you've just been having, the, the human genome is so complex and our, our ability to understand it um, has been so limited. And, and also, you know, it's been a very expensive test up until now. But I really think in the last couple of years we've seen such a reduction in both the cost of testing and the time taken to do testing that um, all of a sudden, you know, the, the possibility of doing this testing on newborns is a reality. And I, I guess the other thing I would say is um, a lot of the motivation for testing newborns has been driven by our experience with uh, testing acutely unwell children and infants. So, you know, one of the big advances um, in the last few years is that when a, a very sick child with a, a, an unclear diagnosis lands in the hospital, uh, we're now applying this technology and getting results within uh, two or three days or so, which mm, yeah, was unheard wow. of a little while ago. <laughs> and of course, of course, that begs the question: you know, if you can do it in a child that's sick, why not uh, try and do it before the child actually becomes wow. unwell? And of course, that pushes us back to the newborn period. So we know that we've got uh, genetic testing in pregnancy and people get screened even before they become pregnant. How is this different by looking at the, the newborn? Where does this take us now? Um, well, uh, I mean, essentially, uh, a lot of our testing is converging on one technology, which, which would be a whole genome sequence. So the ability to, uh, to sequence from end to end someone's entire genome. So you know, originally we tested one gene at a time and then we tested groups of genes, but, but the end point of all of this will be uh, sequencing the entire genome. What, what I think differs between different population groups is how that is analysed. So, you know, once we have a whole genome, we can choose which genes we want to look at in detail and which genes uh, we wish to ignore. So if we were testing a newborn, uh, we might select, say, 500 genes that we know cause uh, critical illness in young children and test those. And we might put aside, for example, a BRCA gene and say, well, we're intentionally not going to look at this at this age, but we can put the data aside and maybe when that child grows up and they're a young adult, we can revisit the data and, and, wow. and look at cancer predisposition, for example. Some people have the most incredible jobs. I mean, the two of you alone, the, the work that you do, I just find it fascinating. David, there, we've spoken a lot about fear. So the fear of the unknown the, or the fear of knowing, but then also just the fear and the misconceptions around genetic testing. When it comes to babies and newborns and pregnancy, there's sort of a lot of texts that are coming in talking about designer babies or people choosing or wanting uh, to know a particular sex or gender of their baby. I mean, that idea of it being manipulated in some way, Orwell is, is being, you know, even quoted here, sort of 1984 style. Does that fear still linger over genetic testing? Um, I would say it comes up, but just to be clear, like we are not, we are, we are purely talking about testing um, the, the DNA of a, a child that exists or potentially an embryo. Um, exists, but we're not talking about any sort of manipulation or changing of the DNA. So it's basically, you know, reading the book, but not uh, not altering it. And then the ability to use that information, uh, I guess, ideally for the benefit of the individual to um, to detect or to warn of diseases that might be coming, um, and and to prevent them. Now. Uh, of course, that information could be used uh, to the detriment of the individual. And I, I guess we need to acknowledge that and acknowledge that yeah. 
all information is not necessarily helpful. And, and David, you mentioned embryos as well, because IVF, you know, genes and genomics comes into this, because couples who might have a genetic predisposition, you know, they might know they're both carriers of something, can then select an embryo that doesn't have uh, that genetic mutation. I think that's where people start to worry about um, designer babies. Or gene editing, I think it's labelled too. Um, yeah, so... Um so um, what, what you're talking about is what, what we call pre-implantation genetic testing. So that is, uh, as you say, cre creating embryos using IVF and then testing them for a specific disorder that, that might be running in the family and, and including some of the disorders that you've been talking about, like Huntington disease or, or, or a BRCA mutation. So this allows couples to uh, choose to avoid passing on a particular condition to a child. But again, to, to stress that um, this is a selection process. So it is not altering the genetic makeup of the embryo. It's simply, you know, testing two embryos and say, saying that, um, or, or finding that one um, carries the gene for Huntington disease and the other doesn't. And then uh, the couple make the decision that they are only going to choose to transfer the embryo that, that, that will not develop the disease. When we're talking large-scale change, and I know, Jane, you were saying, you know, could you imagine if everybody was tested? David, in terms of thinking big, could you, through gene editing, eradicate certain diseases? I know there was talk of being able to almost eliminate something like HIV, for example, or being able to finding a way to take something out in those really early stages or change your genes in some way? How possible is that? Um, I, I think, well, so so at the moment, um, human gene editing, which I guess is what, what you're referring to, um, is, is not being performed clinically, just to be clear. So um, it's something that is discussed a lot um, at a research level, but it is not currently being practised. In terms of whether it will ever be practiced. I, I think there are considerable barriers to it, not the least of which are to do this at population scale would be extremely difficult, um, would create you know, risks um, in itself. And then the other thing about the human genome, which people uh, don't always realize is it, is it is mutating or changing all the time. So every time someone has a child, uh, there will be a whole lot of new gene variants in the child that are not in either parent, so um, it's it, it it simply won't be possible to get rid of genetic diseases altogether. They will continue to keep uh, keep arising. It's amazing how quickly this has changed. What sort of regulations should we be talking about when we do newborn testing? Because you you mentioned it's really about what could particular you know, what could affect their lives now rather than later down the track because a child needs to have that right to find out themselves if they want to know? Yeah, so, I mean, this is these are questions that we are currently in the process of trying to answer. And I, I would say at this point, um, it's not clear exactly what, what the best practice will be to ensure uh, data security and in, ensure privacy of individuals and, and ensure that the the good aspects of genetics um, are not outweighed by, by some of the negative aspects. So, yeah. I mean, clearly um, the, the, the genetic information needs to become just part of everybody's medical record and be subject to the same sort of privacy and regulation as, as the medical record. And, and I would say, you know, that, that will uh, come to pass. So if, if we're thinking 20 years in the future, um, I imagine that everyone, when they visit their GP, um, in in the medical record system, there will be data from their genome, and and the GP will be dipping in and out of that to um to help oh, answer all it. manner of well, questions. knowledge is power, as we heard from our caller before. David, thank you, thanks for joining us and for sharing just a little bit of the work that you do. David uh, uh, Amorm is a consultant, clinical geneticist, a geneticist. Spit it out, which I can't even say it, let alone understand it. Research group leader <laughs> at Murdoch Children's Research Institute. Just finally, Dr. Jane Tiller, we couldn't get through all of the questions today, but this is one that is very close to my heart as I'm from a very large uh, adopted family. And it says, Good morning, Rochelle and Chris.
Kirsten, um, Kirsten, I'm adopted and I don't know my bio- biological father's side or his history or health. Is there an option for adopted people to get genetic testing subsidised somehow? It'd be so helpful for me and for my children. I've lost track of the amount of times I've been asked that question where mm. it says, well, do you have a family history of X, Y and Z? Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. A big problem, like I said, family history is such a blunt tool and it's the only one that is used at the moment. Unfortunately, there is no subsidised testing for people who don't know their family history. Um, we are pushing for this this population model because we think there are things that we can test everyone for. And family history, some people don't know it, some people don't have one. The number of times that the stories that we heard already this morning of people who said, my sister died in her, her 30s of cancer and it was the first cancer in the family. It happens all the time. And so we need to stop saying that family history is a really excellent tool to decide who to test. And lots of people also saying, how can I be a part of some of the studies that you're doing? (laughs) So, I mean, it sounds like you're doing some incredible work and that you need real people and you need case studies. Can people sign up? You might want to put a few people on the phones just quietly after this. Yeah, so the DNA screen study, unfortunately, we finished recruitment, but we uh, are very keen to continue. And if we do... um, if we do run a second stage of the study, we would love to have more people signing up for that. They can still go onto the DNA screen website um, at Monash. You can Google that um, and you can register, but you won't get to be part of the current study. Um, but we'll keep you on a list for future. If you are interested to write to the government about the genetic discrimination issue, that consultation is open until the end of January. You can go to the Treasury website. We'll also be putting together a page with information for people where they can write directly to them just to say, this is what we want and this is what, as Australians, the consumer protection we need we need a ban that prohibits this completely without having any exclusions or limits that the insurers can use well if you have any more testing let let us know as well and we can let all of our listeners know because there's lots of people that are wanting to throw their hand up and lots of people wanting a a copy of today's program we're unable to send that back to you directly today but don't forget the conversation hour is a podcast so if you've missed the beginning of this or you want to share it with a family member or a friend or someone that you know and love just go to the ABC see listen app or wherever you get your podcast you can download it subscribe and you can share that with absolutely everyone dr jane tiller thank you so much i think we need to get you back and and do part two of this anytime thank you so much oh how much did you learn today kirsten diprose oh so much you know and and i mean like you there's uh, uncertainty in my family history as well about some conditions i think it's pretty common that we don't always know what's going on and i think we just really need to make sure those regulations are right so that life insurance companies don't get a free ride with information and also in this digital age you know we need to make sure that that information is secure that that we do find out because this Sounds like it can really save lives. So the future's already here, Rochelle. I think <laughs> we just need to embrace it. <laughs> well, get the regulations and the security right around it, so we can feel confident in in being able to, you know, move with the yeah, science. Power, and that's it. Knowledge is power, and take control. Like we've heard from so many of our callers today, Kirsten Diprose, As always, thank you. Thank I'll be you. back with you tomorrow. And tomorrow we're asking the question: Is it okay to give a pet for Christmas? Until then, take care and I'll speak with you soon.